we are in the book of Galatians, continuing on in our series in Galatians, and we're making good progress. This morning we're in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you, to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await, through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will have to pay the penalty, whoever that may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Good gracious me. Is that verse really in there? My word, this is a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Talking about people emasculating themselves in church. Probably nobody's favourite memory verse, is it, that last one? (laughs) You probably haven't got that one on a cross stitch hanging in your lounge, have you? (laughs) Gee, this um, this is a little bit awkward. A little bit embarrassing here, isn't it? Not not the sort of dignified language you'd expect the Apostle Paul to use, but here he is, gosh. And there's actually a little pun, I'll just point out to you in that last verse, because, you know, literally that verse says, I wish that these people that are agitating you would go the whole way and cut themselves off. That's that's actually literally what he says. And the whole point is that this group in Galatia that Paul is, is, is up against, they've been telling... Jesus only Christians, people that believe in faith in Christ alone, that they are cut off from God's family and God's blessings and God's people and God's promises, that they've been telling these, these Gentiles that unless you follow the law, unless you get circumcised, you're cut off from the people of God. And so there's a little pun going on here when Paul says, actually, the ones who are agitating you, I wish that they just cut themselves off. I mean, it is a reference to circumcision, but he's also saying, I wish they'd acknowledge the fact that they are actually the ones who are cut off They're the ones who are outside of God's promises. They're the ones cut off from the blessing. They're the ones cut off from Abraham's children. So Paul's using this genius little um, metaphor, this little pun, even though it's a bit gory. uh, It works in the situation that he's talking about. And, And this passage comes at the end of a whole long section in Galatians where Paul has been desperately trying to convince a group of Christians that you don't need to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. You don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to observe the law. You just need to believe in Jesus. You just need to have faith in him. All of this talk about law keeping, all of this talk about circumcision and the dietary restrictions and feasts and Sabbaths and festivals and all. He's just so sick of it and he's tried every single angle to get his point across. He's talked about Last week we talked about Hagar and Sarah. He's tried to work that angle to convince them that they don't need, they're actually free and not slaves. He's talked about adoption and how you are, if you believe in Jesus, actually God's adopted children, true children, just as valuable as the natural children. He's talked about 
what, what grace means, justification by the Spirit, uh, all of these things. And here he tries one more angle. He's got one more argument to bring out before he changes tact and, and moves on, move on next week to, to some other things. But here he just has one more attempt at uh, this, this argument. And he does so by appealing to what is, what is known as Stoicism. It's a branch of Greek philosophy, Stoicism. And a lot of people believe that in this passage, Paul is using some Stoic thinking, some Stoic language. Uh, you don't have to know a lot about uh, Stoicism, but it was a branch of philosophy, not Christian philosophy, just Greek pagan philosophy that was around in the first century. It was very popular. Paul would have known about it. His audience would have known about it. Some of them probably would have followed it. And Paul is borrowing some ideas here from Stoicism uh, in order to make his point. Now, all you really need to understand about Stoicism for the purpose of this passage is this, that in Stoic thinking, everything in the entire world is divided into three categories. First, you have what is called the agathon. Agathon means good. These are the things that are good. These are the virtues. These are the things that are always worth pursuing, always useful, always beneficial for pursuing the virtuous life, the good. And then you have the kakon. Kakon means bad. And these are the vices. These are things always to be rejected, always to be shunned, always destructive. They will always lead you down the wrong track. They are always to be rejected at any cost. So you have virtues and vices, agathon and kakon. But then you have a third category. Everything that doesn't fit into either agathon or kakon is a diaphora. And a diaphora means indifferent. It means things that are neither in and of themselves good nor bad. They have no moral value. They have no positive moral value, but they, neither do they have any negative moral value. They're just neutral. They're indifferent. They don't matter. So the pursuit in Stoic thinking, the pursuit of the virtuous life is all about choosing the good and rejecting the bad and just treating the adiaphora with indifference. So if you run after a diaphora and make that your whole focus, you are not a truly virtuous person because a virtuous person pursues the agathon and just shows some equanimity towards the diaphora stuff. Now, with all this in your mind, with these three categories, see if that makes a little bit of sense of the key verse in this passage, verse 6, where Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Many people believe in here that Paul is deriving his idea and his argument from Stoic thinking. That he is, he is saying circumcision is a diaphora. Now he doesn't use that word admittedly in this passage, but he uses the Stoic language. That circumcision is an indifferent thing. He, he's saying it's not a good, it's not a virtue, but neither, interestingly, is it a vice. You might have expected Paul to say circumcision is, is kakon, it's bad, because he, he's obviously trying to persuade people not to do it. But he doesn't say that. In fact, there's other times, for example, Romans 3, where Paul says, if you're already circumcised as a Jew, fantastic, no problem. That's, that's valuable. But it is a diaphora. It is an indifferent thing. It has no value neither circumcision nor uncircumcision in and of itself has any moral, virtuous, theological, spiritual value. It just doesn't. It's neutral. 
And you might ask, well, if it's, if it's of no value, if it doesn't matter either way, if it's not good or bad, why does Paul care if people do it? Why is he so heavy then on people not getting circumcised? If it's just one of these things, who cares if you do? Who cares if you don't? He's obviously telling them not to. The problem in Galatia is that these people have elevated circumcision from being a diaphora to being agathon, to being a virtue, being a good, being something that always must be pursued at any cost. And Paul says, you have made a category error because you're making a virtue of something that is only an indifferent thing. You're elevating to the level of virtue something that is in fact inconsequential. It's indifferent. And that's, that's the heart of it for these Galatians. Circumcision is indifferent and they're treating it as a virtue. Circumcision is not the only thing for Paul that he treats as a diaphora. If you read 1 Corinthians, he's got a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, on marriage. And he talks about marriage and singleness exactly the same way. If you're married, fantastic, stay married. If you're single, fantastic. Don't, don't go crazy to get married. You know, I mean, if it happens, great. But if you're single, that's absolutely fine. Marriage and singleness are a diaphora. They are indifferent things. They have no moral virtue in and of themselves, neither good nor bad. They are just what they are. And then in a couple of chapters later, verse uh, chapters 8 through 10, Paul talks about eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol. Can you eat food if it's been sacrificed to this pagan deity? And Paul says, it's a diaphora. If you can do it with a clear conscience, tuck in. Have a, have a, have a scotch fillet steak if it's been offered to a pagan idol. doesn't matter. If you can do it with a clear conscience, great. If you can't, don't do it. But it's a diaphora. Don't judge each other because of it. Don't divide over it. Don't bicker about it. Just each to their own is basically the deal. It's a diaphora. It's indifferent. Paul will talk about socioeconomic status the same way. You remember Galatians 3.28? There is no longer slave nor free. It's a diaphora. If you're up the top of the social ladder, if you're down the bottom, it's a diaphora. It might matter in economic terms, doesn't matter in spiritual terms. It is not of moral value. It, in God's eyes, it's a diaphora. You see the idea? It's indifferent. Don't make it a virtue. That's his point. And always, here's the common denominator, every time Paul talks about a diaphora, it is always in the context of preserving the unity of God's church. Always. Because what happens when you take something that is a diaphora, that is indifferent, and you elevate it to the level of a virtue, then you start to look down on this person over here who doesn't do it who doesn't think that, who doesn't practice this. You start to condescend. You start to patronise. You start to ostracise them, distance yourself, talk about them, exclude them, marginalise them, draw lines. This is what's happening in Galatia. This is precisely the point. When a diaphora are made into agathon, good, virtue, the result is inevitably division. And this is what Paul can't stand. He's contending for the unity of God's people. And that means putting things in their rightful place. So fair to say, probably, that circumcision is not quite the issue it once was. Fair enough, in the church today, in the world today, you know, it's not quite the burning issue. In fact, it seems quite strange that Paul's written a whole letter 
just about harping on on this issue. And we, easy enough to dismiss it and say this is irrelevant, this has no bearing on us. But I would argue that the principle of a diaphora, those things that are indifferent, is profoundly relevant to us today. You think about all the differences between us, all the differences between people, the things that we might agree on or be different on, political differences, class-based differences, cultural differences, generational differences, theological differences, all of these things. What differences matter? And what differences are indifferent? How do we figure that out? How do we keep the agathon in their place and the indifferent things, the adiaphora, in their place? And I think Paul has some good advice for us here. What he's basically arguing is that if you want to figure out what the things are that are really just adiaphora, then focus yourself on the things that are truly good and truly virtuous and start there. Start by working out what is really valuable, what counts, what, what does matter. And Paul gives it to us in, in the space of two verses. He lays it out. In verse 5 he says, But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. What are the two key words in that verse? Faith and hope. And then in verse 6, at the end of it, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What are the key words in that verse? Faith and love. What do you end up with? Faith, hope and love. There it is. The, the, the little cluster of three that you find at, at moments in the New Testament. The three great virtues of New Testament Christianity. Biblical Christianity, we should say. The three pinnacle virtues. Faith, hope and love. These are the true virtues. These are the good. These are the things that always should be pursued, that always matter. These are the things that count. Faith, you know, that posture towards God. Living according to God's reality, not the reality around you. Living according to who God is and not what I see. Living according to how faithful and wise and sovereign God is and not my circumstances. Faith, posturing myself towards God and not towards just stuff around me. Love, the, the great New Testament commandment for us to lay our lives down for each other. The self giving the self away and lifting the other up. That's love. And hope, you know, I've had an, I've had a, an awakening of hope this week as I was looking at this word. I've always thought of hope as one of, you know, something we're waiting for out there. But it seems to me in the New Testament, hope is something that we're supposed to practice in the present. Hope is something that we await, God's new creation, the future, the righteousness, when we are finally home and finally redeemed. But hope is bringing that into the present, isn't it? By offering hope to people, by offering hope to the world around us, by sharing hope, by showing hope, by embodying hope, by bringing a piece of God's future into the now, into the here, by living a life of hope that points people towards something more than just the troubles of today. That's hope. Faith, hope, love. These are the virtues. These are the good. These are the things that always, always, always count. The only thing that matter, says Paul's faith, expressing itself through love. And he adds hope as well. And so in view of that, how then do you figure out what's a diaphora? What are the things that just are indifferent today? One of the journeys I've been on over the past few years is, is trying to discover my own uh, leadership style. And I, I used to have in my head a, a picture of what a leader is. 
of what it means to lead people. And it was kind of the classic idea, I suppose, of a leader, a pretty larger-than-life personality, a very charismatic leader, you know, the sort of the, a, a magnetic personality that just pulls people to them. An extroverted, uh, people person, visionary, bold leader. You know that classic type A personality, the big, the bold, the visionary, that kind of... That's who I assumed leadership was. That's what I associated... And of course that can be leadership, but that was my whole paradigm. So I looked at me because that's not me. I mean, that's just not me. I'm, I'm more low-key. I'm naturally introverted. I'm not you know, naturally the bold, great, visionary, out there leader. And so for many years I felt like a, pretty much a failure as a leader because I was not conforming to this particular paradigm of leadership I had until I realised that what I was doing was taking a particular style of leadership and making a virtue of it. I was elevating it to the level of the good, the agathon, the, the one thing that matters, the one thing that counts, when in fact that particular leadership style is a diaphora. It's indifferent. It's, it's fine if that's your leadership style. But if it's not, that's okay too. It doesn't have any particular moral value. The leadership style that I have is just as valuable. Different leaders for different times, contexts, situations, seasons, different people wired differently. Leadership can be expressed in so many different ways. And that was an eye-opener for me because I realised that leadership style is in this category of indifferent things and we can embrace however God's wired us to be. This would be the same as thinking about personality types, even if you're not leading as such, just different personality types. We can glorify one particular personality type, can't we? I want to be that type of, if I'm the introvert, I really want to be the extrovert. If I'm the extrovert, I really want to be the introvert. You know? And we think this is the personality type to, to aim for, to reach for, to be. All we end up doing, guys, is becoming fake. We're trying to be someone we're not. We're trying to be this, but we're actually that. We have to acknowledge that that personality type, that leadership style, that whatever is a diaphora. It is indifferent. So I can embrace who I am and allow someone else to be who they are. Neither is better than the other. Our political views are a diaphora. We often think they're not because... Christians in particular, on both the right and the left, often assume, if you, surely, if you're a Christian, surely if you believe the Bible, surely if you pray to Jesus, you are going to be, fill in the blank, a left-leaning Christian, a right-leaning Christian, a national supporter, a labour supporter. And I talk to people on both sides who, who struggle to con who believe that the opposite type would even make it to heaven. You know, it's surely because, you know, you've got, a, this is the category, you know, and they've got verses to back it up and this is surely the way and you believe in these policies and this position. You're going to be a, a social conservative. No, you're going to be a social liberal. You're going to be the traditional family values. Oh, you're going to be compassion for the poor. Everyone's got their particular emphasis and we assume that this is the one option, really, for Christians. If you are a Christian, you're going to be this. You see what we're doing is making a virtue of what is a diaphora. It's indifferent. Fine to hold political views. Fine to have robust debate about that. That's, that's brilliant. That, that's being human. But when we elevate our particular political persuasion to the level of agathon, the good, the virtuous position, and we start to condescend, and we start to distance, and we start to create lines, we're in danger of exactly what Paul's arguing against. We have to put this stuff in its place. Our political views, important as they may be, are ultimately a diaphora. 
Theological views. Here's a contentious one. Stuff that Christians love to bicker over. All of the millions of little doctrines and theological minutiae that we can get entangled in and bicker about because we believe that, you know, if you are truly saved and you're truly a Bible-believing Christian, of course you're going to be a post-tribulational, pre-rapture, pre-millennial, whatever, you know, on and on it goes. You know, you're going to be this particular position. And we take our little doctrinal hobby horse and we elevate it to the level of a virtue when in fact it's a dia for it. Again, nothing wrong. In fact, wonderful thing to think through theological issues, to wrestle with the scriptures, to seriously engage in these kinds of discussions. But we have to separate out what are the cornerstone things, you know, the cross of Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone. Jesus is truly divine and truly human. These central ideas from the other stuff, that is second order, third order, fourth order stuff, that we tend to want to push up to the first order and make a virtue of it. And again, it divides. Churches divide. Groups divide over this stuff all the time. We've got to be careful that we don't take our little theological doctrinal hobby horse and make it a virtue when it might be just a diaphora. It might be an indifferent thing. And I think this happens in all kinds of subtle ways. I, I was thinking this week, you know, we can even take a particular generation, an age, I wonder, and make it a virtue. You know, we look at older people and we, you know, feel like, well, are they they really valuable? You know, they're past their prime, you know, is there really use for them in the church? Or we look at young people and say, you know, until you're 30, there's not really much for you to do. You just sit around and wait and grow up, please, you know. And we we tend to look at different age groups. Can we make a virtue of different generations? as if being a particular age is a particular virtue over against another age. We've got to be careful that we don't make virtues of things that are just indifferent things. Drinking. You know, is it right? Is it wrong? Uh, where, Where do the lines fall? Some Christians drink, some Christians don't drink. We've got to be careful that we don't make a virtue of something that is just a diaphora, that is a matter of personal conscience. It's keeping these categories clear. There might even be something that, you know, you're engaged in a conflict or a debate or some argument right now and you're standing on a particular issue and you're making a big deal of something and there's something that you're really pushing really hard and making a virtue of. And maybe even now God is prompting your heart and saying it's just a diaphora. This thing that you've been driving, this thing that you just will die on a hill for, it's just a diaphora. Let it go. Don't make it a hill to die on. Lay it down. If there's something that just needs to be laid down, lowered down in the scale, don't make a virtue out of what is just indifferent. So a few questions just as we wrap up today. Is there something that someone is exerting some kind of pressure on you to conform to, to practice, to believe, to do, to think, to say, that really doesn't matter. It's a good indication that you might be dealing with something that's a diaphora. And Paul's pretty harsh in those circumstances. He says to resist that. Because if you raise that thing up, what you're doing is lowering Christ down. He says if you make circumcision a big deal, Christ will be of no value to you. You can't have both. When we choose to make our little indifferent things the big issues 
and die on a hill for these. We focus ourselves around that and in the background, Jesus is being lowered and lowered and lowered. Don't let it happen. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep Christ in his place and let other things orbit around that. Is there something that you can see around you causing division? Maybe just between a couple of people. Maybe within a group. Maybe within the church. And you can see, you know, there's an issue there that's pulling people apart and it doesn't need to. Maybe you're dealing with something that's a diaphora. And maybe it could be your place to step in, to say something, to speak, to take someone aside and say, I think this issue, you're making a virtue of something that's just not that important. It just ultimately doesn't matter. It might be okay. It's, it's not a bad. It's not the wrong. It's not a vice. But it's just a dear for it. Let's just live and let live. Is there something, here's a bit closer to home, is there something that you are holding on to? A view, a practice, a position, something that you are holding on to too tightly, <coughs> that you've made a virtue of that you're clutching onto when it needs to be held a little more loosely? Have you made a virtue of something that really, when all is said and done, it's just a dear for? Maybe today is a day to lay that down before the Lord and say, God, I've just made too much of this. I've put too much emphasis in this and while I've been doing that, you have been decreasing and it's been dividing and it's been harmful and destructive, and I want to give that thing up. It might not mean letting go of it completely, but it means putting it back in its place, in the Adiaphora box, not in the Agathon box. And are you being guided by the virtues of faith, hope, and love? Are they a compass for you? Or are these other things clouding your judgment? I mean, you know, there's a whole sermon on each of those, I know, but just to have them in our minds as we walk through our weeks, faith and hope, and love. They are such a compass. They are so grounding. They are so centering in our lives. They focus us on Christ. They focus us on God's future. They focus us on one another. They will guide you. They will enable you step by step to start sifting and start sorting and start figuring out what is truly virtuous from those things that are just indifferent. So let's name those things that are bad and put them aside whatever they are in our lives. Let's name those things that are good, the virtues, faith, hope and love. Let's pursue them with all our heart and let's allow the indifferent things just to be indifferent. Let's not clutch onto them more tightly than we ought so that individually and corporately we pursue those things that are really worth pursuing, faith and hope and love. Let's pray. Father, focus us on those three, we pray. Focus us on faith towards you, and practicing hope, bringing hope to people around us, and showing love to those that you bring into our world. Lord, if there are things this morning that we have made into virtues that are just a dear for us, would you show us right now? Lord, would you lay them on our hearts and bring them to our minds, even now, just in the stillness of this moment? Convict us, Holy Spirit. Just bring the word to our minds. Bring the picture to our minds. If there's something, Lord, if there's a way of speaking, a way of thinking, that we have elevated out of its rightful place, that we've lifted up too high and we've held on to too tightly. Father, would you show us? And as those things come to our minds and hearts now, Lord, we lay them down. We, we surrender them. Father, we confess if we have made a virtue of them.
if we've made a God of them and we give them to you. We surrender them, Father. We lay them down. We receive your forgiveness, Father, and we focus ourselves again on the things that are truly good, the things that are truly of you. We thank you, Jesus, that your death and your resurrection are ultimately the things that matter. Let everything else find its place in view of that. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing this week, and that's you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.